for tuning in to Hacks and Hobbies with your host, Junaid. In season two of Hacks and Hobbies, we're visited by our amazing guests coming from all walks of life. We want to learn their story, their struggles, and their journey on how they got to where they are today. So stick around. In this episode, I get to talk with my good friend, Ahmed Qureshi. He's a long-time athlete and one of the top cyclists in our Team Velocipede um, group of cyclists. He has been uh, one of the leaders and one of the organizers to a lot of the events and meetups that we, we do um, during cycling. And um, I've gone to know him as one of the uh, experts in a lot of the health aspects and a lot of the training and cycling all together. And being a long-term athlete himself, it's, it's, been, it's been a great journey learning from him and following his lead in, in the cycling arena. And I was um, lucky enough to get some time from Ahmed to come on the podcast and talk about cycling. Emmett, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you know me from over the past few years, uh, having involvement in so many different hobbies, and cycling is one is uh, one of my fun hobbies that I took to heart back in 2017, and I'm I'm waiting to make a comeback this year. Hopefully, it's if it's not too late. <laughs> so I wanted to bring you on and, you know, um, talk a little bit about what's going on and um, how you got into cycling. So give us a little uh, run. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I grew up as a runner. Um, e- even before middle school, uh, I was always just running around outside. I'd prefer to run around and be active and play outside than play video games inside. But um then in middle school, I started running track and cross country and that, you know, went on to high school and then to college at VCU. Um, and uh, then one of the other guys on the team, Saad, uh, you know, he and I bought some mountain bikes and then uh, one thing led to another. And all of a sudden we've got about 10 of our Richmond buddies uh, out there on the trails um, every weekend uh, mountain biking and uh, that was really fun, you know, as sort of an adjunct to running. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, I noticed that my knees were starting to ache a little bit on some of my longer runs, mm-hmm. um, you know, training for marathons and that sort of thing. So I figured uh, the natural transition for most runners when they start to get aches and pains is to uh, biking. You know, and I, I saw how much I liked mountain biking. So then uh, I learned of Team Velocipede through Asid Sakib. Uh, Saad introduced us after a Jumma one day when we were having lunch. And he told me about the team. I started emailing uh, Fasil Kamdar, amongst other people. And they sort of guided me to buy my first road bike, um, which was a, what, Trek Madone, like, uh, I don't know, 4.5 or something. <laughs> um, it was nice. And... Uh, yeah, I, I just never looked back. That was, I think my first ride with them was like Labor Day 2014. And nice. so that was about, yeah, four and a half years ago. So I love it. Cycling is, uh, that's my main thing now. And, and running is now the adjunct to cycling. <laughs> so, that's pretty yeah. cool. 
it's like the two ta- two two main things that that have taken different seats. Okay, you're on the driver's side, and I'm just gonna hang out. <laughs> yeah, the seat. That's really cool. Uh, you know, what's funny is that I also started through mountain biking and then got into road biking thanks to Saad's introduction, and that was uh, really cool. And then I think my first ride was with you guys. <laughs> was going up on what's that uh skyline oh was that skyline drive yeah. <laughs> that's a tough first ride <laughs> I know. and i was like oh my god what am i doing in the back of the pack and and luckily Nadir was hanging out with me um mm-hmm. for like three and a half miles or maybe two and a half miles i can't even remember and i was like all right i can't do it anymore and my my heart was racing and then i was like all right i'm gonna go i'm just gonna go downhill <laughs> can we just do it downhill so that was my first yeah. intro to it. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't really an out and back. It was an up and then a down, right? Because yeah. it was yeah. like a four mile climb right out of the parking lot. Exactly. That's uh, asking a bit much. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was uh, that was crazy fun. But then as I as I grew to learn, you know, about cycling and and following you guys uh, on you know the different the Slack channels that we have. And learn about, okay, you know, training is really important. I think that's one of the things you guys would talk about, training and um, and whatnot. So we could touch a little bit on training, but I really wanted to, like, as a, as a runner, like you, like a lot of people say that, you know, you got to have an athletic build. Is that true for any cyclist to, you know, to get up there or um, is that just an excuse? No, not really. I mean, uh, cycling really <clears throat> is what you make it. You know, it can be anything from riding around the neighborhood with the kids to competing in races, you know, um, and everything in between. And, uh, you know, I think Team Velocipede falls into all of those categories. Yeah. Um, you know, you cycling is an endurance activity at its core, you know. So having an athletic build and, you know, like a a good aerobic base definitely helps, Mm. but it's not, you know, a critical requirement. Uh, It just depends on what your goals are, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we, we used to race a little bit more, um, not so much anymore. Uh, Now it's more like, you know, just doing weekend rides and, um, you know, um, not competing, but participating in centuries, you know, hundred mile bike races, uh, and just sort of like, you know, trying to be generally healthy. So those are sort of like the, uh, main focuses, um, of our team currently. Some people still race, um, which might require a little bit of specific training, but, uh, in general, um, you don't have to have like an athletic build or background to become a cyclist, anyone can just jump on a bike. And with time, um, you know, uh, you may shed a few pounds or definitely get in shape and, you know, things will come together. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. Very, very true. Um, so as we, we focus on being more healthy and to be more healthy, you're surely you're exercising or, you know, you're riding your bike, you're, you're burning those calories. So one of the things that's been around or, or I've heard of in the team is, you know, keto. And I've 
not just through the team, but I've also seen other people around um, my work environment that, that they're like, oh, I'm on keto. I'm, I'm, I can't eat this or I can't eat that. So <laughs> what is your experience with keto and how does that play into cycling? Or let's just define keto, who that is, if, if people don't know, if my audience doesn't know what keto is. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I actually didn't even hear about the ketogenic diet until, oh, I guess it was about a little over a year ago, maybe like October of uh, 2017, uh, myself and a few other guys were having like a post-Juma lunch mm -hmm. uh, with one of the other guys on the team. And he had just told us, okay, so I'm like starting this new diet that my doctor, you know, sort of is steering me towards because my hemoglobin A1C, which is like a three-month measure of the glycolic glycosylated hemoglobin. Mm -hmm. It's sort of an indicator of, you know, how well your body handles sugar. Um, mm. Apparently that was a little bit high. So his doctor was telling him, okay, you need to cut out the carbs. Why don't you try this ketogenic diet? Yeah. And so he was telling us about it and we were baffled because we, none of us had heard about it before. Although it's been around since the fifties, I wow. think it initially started as a therapeutic diet for people with epilepsy. So like they would have seizures all of the time, and that's due to some of the like uh, neurons not being highly myelinated. So this high-fat, extremely low-carb diet would be beneficial in those circumstances. But lately, in the past few years, maybe the last 10 years, according to what I've heard, it's really come to the forefront as a diet for weight loss, as you know, less of a therapeutic, more of a, a weight loss diet. And so uh, this teammate of ours was telling us that he's on it and we sort of watched him over about four to six months lose, you know, maybe 30 pounds. Wow. And, um, you know, in the, I mean, that's good just for general health purposes. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and his hemoglobin A1C came down to a normal level, which is great, but dropping 30 pounds as a cyclist is a big deal because, <laughs> you know, you're constantly like talking about that watts per kilo, you know, and if you oh, can yeah. reduce the denominator, you don't necessarily have to <laughs> increase the numerator. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so he thereby got stronger by losing, you know, that excess weight that is just like a spare tire sitting on the belly. Um, <laughs> so that's how, you know, I heard about it. And then, um, you know, this past fall, I, uh, myself and a few other guys were considering, uh, you know, doing it ourselves after we saw the success that our other teammate had with it. Um, and there's so many benefits of the ketogenic diet, uh, weight loss being just one of them. And although I didn't really have to lose any weight, um, you know, typically in a off season and we consider like the probably November through March as the off season or the slow season or the base building season. Mm -hmm. um, I typically gain about five pounds of uh, just blubber anyway, yeah. just from less riding, you know, the days are shorter, it's cold outside and mm -hmm. just sitting around eating a bunch of junk food. You know, every mm -hmm. time I'm like at home watching TV, I'm just mindlessly snacking on like sugary foods and chocolate. Um, those are my, uh, addictions and you know mm -hmm. sugar really can become an addiction so my main purpose in starting the keto diet was um just to clean up my diet yeah. to get off the uh carb cycle you know the carb dependency of uh you know sugary foods 
not to say that all carbs are bad, but you know, the refined sugars definitely are. There's no need for any of that in one's diet. So, um, I think I started uh, on Black Friday, you know, mm. had to start after Thanksgiving, of yeah. course. <laughs> Get it um, all in. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm still going. So uh, my plan is to just keep going until uh, Ramadan starts. So mm. that's going to be early May. So that will make, what, December, January, February, March, April, about five months. Five months into it. So, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I... Since uh, the last month, I guess I've sort of been increasing the carbs a little bit, but um, you know, it uh, it really starts with restricting the carbs. That's how you get into ketosis. So the idea is that you're reducing the carbs to an amount of like 50 grams or less a day, so mm-hmm. that your body has to move to an alternative source of fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the easiest fuel for your body to burn is the carbohydrate because, you know, it takes less energy for your body to turn a carb into energy. Mm-hmm. It all has to do with like the Krebs cycle and all that biology we learned back in high school and college. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but the next thing in line, if you eliminate the carbs, um, is fat. So, you know, uh, let's say you reduce your carbs down to less than 50 grams a day. So mm-hmm. after like one or two days, uh, the glycogen that's stored in your liver will burn up, you know, when you're sleeping and throughout the day. And then once your liver burns through its stored glycogen, it will start producing ketone bodies from the, uh, free fatty acids that you have stored in your body that are just sitting there waiting to be used, but never get a chance to be used if you keep eating carbs. So if you interrupt the cycle and stop the carbs, that will force your body to start burning some of that stored fat. And in each gram or in each pound of fat, there's 3,500 calories, which, you know, is more than a day's worth of calories. So, I mean, you just think about how many pounds of fat the normal person has on their body. That's enough to keep them sustained for days, days on end. That's really Um, interesting. But when you mentioned that there's 3,500 calories in one pound of fat. And um, so one thing that I remember, is, and I guess it makes sense because of this fat number or calorie count. Uh, one thing that we learned in, in Cub Scouting was that, you know, the, the threes, like you can't, you can survive it without three minutes of air, or is it something like that? Three days without water and three weeks without food. Mm-hmm. So that, totally like goes back into all that fat that you're storing. It's so you can survive those, those days when you go without food. Exactly. You know, a lot of the podcasts I've been listening to the last four months about Mm -hmm. keto always refer back to the primal ancestors, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so they, they just sort of say, okay, uh, you know, back in the day, you know, when food wasn't around at the, grocery store and you had to hunt and survive, you wouldn't always get to eat, you know, every day. So you have to be able to go long periods of time without food. And that's where fat comes into play. And there weren't a lot of carbs around then either. So, you know, it was mostly fat and meat, um, which are the main two components of the keto diet. Beautiful. Well, so we know history of the origin of keto, where they came from, and then how it affect it, it helped um, our teammate 
um, because he, from a health perspective, so that's really, really cool. And then that started triggering my head because I have a tendency to eat a lot of sugars. I mean, day and night, I'm, I'm consuming sugars left and right because either my body craves it. And then the other thing that I remember is um, sugar is also very addictive because it has that immediate high, right? So you're always looking for, okay, what can give me that immediate hand? And sugar has that effect. So are there any any withdrawals when you first started going into like the keto diet? Is Well, I, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, there is, you know, uh, instant gratification uh, reward center in the brain. And the sugar does cause a dopamine release. And so when you look at a PET scan of people uh, mm-hmm. who are, you know, on drugs, you know, like whether it's cocaine or whatever, yeah. uh, the reward center lights up when people take cocaine. Mm-hmm. Same thing happens when people eat sugar. So it really is an addiction just like a drug. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the idea is to wean yourself off slowly. Um mm-hmm. You know, I, I did a little research before uh, I actually dove in and, and, you know, started the diet. And a lot of the stuff I was reading was saying, don't just stop sugar cold turkey um, because you'll get symptoms such as the keto flu, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, anyone who, you know, is Muslim and fast during Ramadan, I think we've all experienced the first day of Ramadan everyone gets that crushing headache, you know, they feel weak and lethargic and a little bit shaky. That basically is the keto flu that people go through. So what they were recommending is do a week of low carb, right? Because I don't know, you know, carb intake could vary. If you're like, you know, a carb dependent endurance athlete, you might be taking in like 500 carbs a day, Mm -hmm. 500 grams of carbs, or you might be taking in 200. But the idea is to slowly transition. So I gave myself a week of low carb. And to me, that meant cutting out the sugary snacks, right? So I would just every time I mindlessly reach for a snack, I'd have to catch myself and Mm -hmm. say, Oh, no, we're not doing this anymore. Right? So after a week of that, um, once Black Friday came uh, and it was time to, you know, stop all the carbs altogether minus about 50 grams a day, which really those 50 grams, um, e- even if you're just counting the net carbs, mm-hmm. uh, come from like, you know, sources like nuts and, you know, vegetables and these sort of things. It's not like you can have a Snickers bar and say, okay, that's my 50 grams of carbs for the day. (laughs) It's what we call incidental carbs that come from whole foods. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, yeah, when I uh, started on Black Friday, we, Black Friday wasn't too bad. You know, I went for a little bike ride on my own, but I was keeping it, um, you know, at a low intensity. We, We say we're doing math training, which is a whole nother podcast in itself, but that basically that's mathetone training where you're trying to keep your heart rate at 180 minus your age. And so basically the idea is that, uh, you know, plus or minus five for this or, or five for that. But if you keep your heart rate low enough, you'll stay in the fat burning range where your body's optimal, you know, optimally burning fat. And if you go above that heart rate, then you're going to start burning sugar and it's going to become like, you know, um, a tougher workout for your body. 
So anyway, the first thing I noticed uh, was actually on a Sunday ride that me and all the guys on Velocipede were doing a, a ride out there around Lovettsville, and it was maybe a 50-miler, um, and uh, I did it fasted. Um, so that means, you know, I woke up, all I had before the ride was water, all I had during the ride was water, and I was trying to keep my heart rate low enough, but my plan was to, you know, like go out there and just see if I'm fat adapted yet. Mm -hmm. Right. So fat adapted means, you know, your body is recognizing that it doesn't have much glycogen in the muscles. Mm -hmm. Um, so it needs to start utilizing some of your stored body fat. And, um, you know, after that ride, I felt incredibly sore. I knew my body was going through something because, you know, that sort of ride at that intensity shouldn't, you know, elicit that type of, you know, soreness from my muscles. So I could tell that something was happening. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, so I guess that was about two days within about two or three days. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was, uh, in ketosis and for people who have been doing it longer, they could probably flip in and out of ketosis a little bit quicker than that. But Mm -hmm. since that was my first time truly being in ketosis, it took about two or three days. Um, although, you know, I have done like plenty of fasted rides before, which, you know, are supposed to help you become a better fat burner, but mm-hmm. truly in ketosis, this was the first time. So that was my experience with it. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've done some fasted rides. I remember back in 2017, but not not at this level at all. That was a pretty uh, intense. Um, I've, I'm sure it, it felt really intense for you, right? Um, experiencing that soreness because being an athlete yourself and being riding for so long, like I was thinking about, you know, you're, you're trying to keep your heart rate low, but I remember like when we used to ride with you, you'd always have a low heart rate anyways. So like how low were you going for? It's, you know, I I can't, I can't even (laughs) imagine. Uh, but well, yeah. Uh, I think, um, from my, I guess decades at this point of, uh, you know, endurance activities, uh, I've built up, you know, the metabolic machinery and the mitochondria and the muscular endurance, um, the body adapts. So, you know, I think when, when the heart gets stronger and the body becomes efficient, Mm -hmm. the heart necessarily doesn't have to be as fast, you know, because there's like stroke volume times heart rate equals cardiac output. Yeah. Um, it's just like, you know, how you get Watts on a bike, Mm -hmm. you could pedal hard. They call that torque or you could Mm -hmm. spin the crank real fast. That's called cadence. So that's a good Mm -hmm. analogy, you know, and if you're pedaling hard enough, you don't have to pedal as fast to get the Mm -hmm. same output. Right. So, um, I think my heart rate might be a little bit lower than an untrained person. Mm -hmm. Um, but in general, the math training, um, is supposed to optimize you for that where like, you know, they say 180 minus your age. So I guess I'm 37 at this point. So that'd be like 143. And then there's like other criteria that say, okay, if you've been improving physically uh, in your sport for the last two years, you can add five beats to that. If you've been injured or had a couple colds the past Mm -hmm. year, 
um, or on any prescription medication like diabetes or, or blood pressure meds, then yeah. you have to subtract a certain amount. So I don't always add five, but you know, yeah. roughly my range is 143 to 148. Okay. Um, so, you know, sometimes I just cut it in half and say 145, yeah, but just, that's the high end, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I'd like to not let my heart rate go above that on what I consider to be like endurance rides. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, you know, every now and then you're going to do like a a tough group ride, you know, where your heart rate's going to be pegged above that for, Mm -hmm. you know, an hour or so, but that's more like the outlier than Mm -hmm. the norm, you know, that that's the exception to the rule. So that, that takes us directly into cycling and how key, like how keto or keto is helping become a better cyclist or a stronger cyclist, which one would it be? Uh, well, so, you know, they, they say in terms of, in regards to the keto diet, that you're not trying to lose weight to become healthy by being on the keto diet. You're trying to become healthy via the keto diet and losing weight is, you know, a, a byproduct of that, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, same thing goes with cycling. You know, it's like you could be, uh, you know, a very in shape cyclist, um, but you're like dependent upon carbs and, you know, being in shape doesn't necessarily mean, and being fit doesn't mean being healthy. Right. So you have to sort of look at the big picture of things. Um, as we get older, we get wiser and we say the older I get, the faster I was. Right. That's the (laughs) thing. So, so, you know, it's like, uh, I remember when I first started, I was so gung ho. Every ride was going to be like, you know, a speed setting record breaking ride. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, eventually your body starts to rebel, whether it's, you know, achy joints, achy muscles, uh, chronic inflammation, um, you know, the thought that, well, I went out there and burned like a thousand calories in an hour. I can eat whatever I want the rest of the day. And Mm -hmm. I fell into that same uh, flawed mindset Mm -hmm. of, okay, well, I mean, Alhamdulillah, I was blessed with a high metabolism. I think that's just like the way my body's made. Yeah. And then also I understood that, hey, I exercise all the time. Mm-hmm. So I saw myself being able to get away with eating a crappy diet. Yeah. Uh, and by that, I mean, you know, refined sugars, uh, however many carbs I want, um, you know, all sorts of meat and not nearly enough vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, you can only go so long, uh, with that cycle before your body rebels. And so, you know, seeing what my teammate, uh, went through with the keto diet and how healthy he got, it inspired all of us. And so I thought, okay, well, if I can just clean up my diet and get healthier in the long run, that may help with my cycling in the short run, you know, because it's like, Uh, And there have been studies on this, some like against it, some, you know, for it. But like, basically, if you're limiting your carbs to that low amount, um, uh, you can expect that your muscle glycogen storage levels will be lower, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't necessarily matter if you're just doing mild intensity aerobic rides, right? But when you're like putting the pedal to the metal and really dialing up the intensity, you will start to, um, you know, use some of that stored glycogen 
And when you're first starting the keto diet, um, that that's going to be tough. You know, they mm -hmm. say like in the first three weeks, expect that you're not going to be able to lift as much weight. If you're in the weight room, mm -hmm. you're not going to have as much like high end, uh, energy, you know, if you're doing like sprints or hill climbs or whatever. Yeah. So I did notice that, that my high end engine was definitely lacking. Um, but, uh, with time that apparently is supposed to sort of correct itself to the point that yes, you might only have half of the glycogen storage in your muscles as a person on the standard American diet, they call it the sad diet, you know, yeah. SAD, because <laughs> it is sad, like how much carbs people eat. Um, but uh, you might only have half the glycogen, but you use it more sparingly. You use it like at a quarter of the rate. And you can eventually, you know, after maybe uh, six months or a year of being not strict keto, but just low carb in general, that your body will be able to replete that glycogen um, you know, just as quickly. Wow. So it's sort of like a long-term process. Um, and the way that I feel about it is it's a good trade-off, you know, like, I mean, if I'm getting healthier, you know, and, and my, uh, my lab tests are getting better, mm -hmm. maybe I'm losing a few pounds, but I'm definitely leaning out and dropping some fat, um, and just eating better in general, that's yeah. worth the trade-off of not having, you know, those few extra watts at the very high end, or maybe not being able to like, you know, win the sprint finish on the mm -hmm. local group ride or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, but that's all you have to have a long-term out outlook. Yeah. 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 So that's more like in the short run, you're going to feel these because you're just getting into it. But in the long run, you should be able to compete at a higher level. Is that what I'm getting? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. There, there was a study um, that I read recently. It came out in like 2016 called mm -hmm. the FASTER study. Mm -hmm. And it's a uh, fat adaptation substrate use of like trained endurance runners or something like that. Yeah. So basically, the, the N wasn't real big. They, they only had 16 uh, in this study, but eight of them were on the you know standard American diet eight of them had been on a low carb diet um, for, I think the average was like 20 months. So like a year and a half, which is a long time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're definitely like fat adapted. But the point of the study was that they were going to take these endurance runners, have them run at 65% VO2 max for um, three hours. So it's a glycogen depleting workout. Mm -hmm. And they took biopsies of the muscle and, and blood like before, during and after the run. Yeah. And basically the results showed that, uh, you know, there was no more glycogen usage out of the fat adapted runners than the um, standard diet runners. And they repleted their glycogen just as fast at the same time uh, during the activity, the fat adapted runners were using uh, like two and a half or three times more fatty acids as fuel, which is to be expected. Yeah. But they were doing it at a uh, higher rate. So basically, um, when they say like, uh, you know, there, there's a graph where uh, on the x-axis, uh, it has like intensity. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, on the y-axis, it has a percentage of like carbs or fat used, right? Mm -hmm. And so as you go to the right on the x-axis, the higher the intensity goes, 
you, you go from using mostly fat and very little glucose to they intersect, right, where you're using 50% fat, 50% glucose um, at about the uh, 50% intensity range, right? Yeah. And then when you go to even higher intensities, it goes to being mostly glycogen usage that your body's using and very little fat. So um, what they found was that the fat adapted runners were able to push the intensity of the run to mm. 65% of their VO2 effort um, and still be using mostly fat. So if you think about it, uh, fat is a cleaner burning energy source anyway. It doesn't cause the inflammation that carbohydrates do when they're broken down, and inflammation is bad for a number of reasons. Uh, but you know, if you think about the fact that you only have a certain amount of glycogen stored in your muscles, it's a mm -hmm. finite amount versus like the thousands and thousands of calories you have in your stored body fat. It's like an endless supply of yeah. energy. If you can tap into that energy and even use it at a higher intensity, mm -hmm. that's a win-win, you know, plus then you don't have to take in any extra carbohydrates on the bike or on the run, which, you know, probably from doing centuries with us that it's hard to suck down a gel and digest it when all the blood is in your working muscles and not in your gut, you know, yeah, that's that how you get like. That's right. <laughs> that's really, really interesting because it's almost like either you're burning like f fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. They they talk about it in terms of cars. Like, are you running on like dirty burning diesel, uh -huh. or are you a Tesla running on like clean burning electric energy, mm -hmm. being efficient? Now, you know the the caveat to that is the the Tesla let's not talk about like the, the yeah. model S, but let, just the model three, right? It yeah. might not be, or a Prius. Let's, let's say a Prius. Yeah. A Prius might not be as fast as a Porsche, right? Oh. But it's more efficient, right? Yep. And so it comes down to what your um, goals are and what's important to you, you know? So like, Absolutely. you know, if, if you're a racer and you, that's your job, you get paid to win races. So these mm -hmm. Tour de France riders, they probably can't afford to be on the keto diet because they no. need every watt for that last sprint. But if you're just a Joe Blow out there on the weekends trying to like be social and have fun with your mates, then you know it's okay. It's a good trade-off. In the long run, it'll be better for you to be healthy rather exactly. than to be fast. Because again, you know, being fit is not the same thing as being healthy. Absolutely, that's that's very really really cool. Um, hmm, I like that. So having good health, because who, like, we need to just stop kidding ourselves because we're all getting older. We're all, you know, addicted to the sugar and then eliminating sugar and carbohydrates is good for the body. Now, when you say, and I think it's, you mentioned it was refined sugars because mm -hmm. fruits have a lot of sugars, right? There's, there's vegetables that have sugar. So how, like, what's your limitation on how much you can consume with that? Because, you know, there's grapes, apples, pears, and they have a ton of sugar in them. Um, how did they... Right. So, so some of the science behind keto is that, uh, well, the, the magic number really is like 35 to 50 uh, uh, grams of carbs a day is what's required to get you into ketosis, which is not a very big amount. And as you just said... There's carbs in pretty much everything, um, you know, except for like meat and uh, 
even vegetables have carbs. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the, the main three evils that you want to try to avoid at the very least are the refined sugars, which mm-hmm. is in pretty much like all of the, uh, you know, shelf snacks, you know, cookies and all this. Um, you want to avoid the, uh, the grains, the refined grains, because those mm-hmm. cause inflammation just mm-hmm. like the refined sugars do. And yeah. the third one is the refined vegetable oils. Um, that's a big one too, because soybean oil, corn oil, canola oil, those are in everything pretty much. Um, those are all refined, um, oils. Yeah, they're, they're Mm -hmm. all refined oils. So it's like all the C's, you know, um, corn, cottonseed, canola, and all the S's, soybean oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil. These are all refined. And in that refining process of the oil, they become oxidized. And so this starts to get into like the biology and chemistry of it. But when you have like a refined um, or reactive oxygen species from the refining process, that causes inflammation. It just causes like a downstream cascade Mm. um, of something else to become reactive. And, uh, you know, that can lead to things like cancer uh, inflammation and inflammation can lead to diabetes, heart disease. Um, you know, for the longest time we were told that you want to avoid saturated fats, you Mm. know, and that whole like food pyramid shows that the base is built out of carbs and you want to just keep the fats to a minimum. (laughs) There was this like scientist from, I don't know, the fifties or sixties that all of these podcasts and YouTube videos refer to his name was Ansel keys. Mm -hmm. And so, um, people were in his pocket, you know, and basically skewed his data to show that, you know, uh, fat and saturated fat specifically led to higher incidences of heart disease Mm -hmm. in these certain countries. But he Mm -hmm. left out like half of the other countries where that data wasn't favorable for what he wanted to show. So, after, you know, decades of us being on this low fat, high carb diet, mm-hmm. you know, um, it led to all this disease, you know, see this obesity epidemic in the America. Um, you know, recently, uh, it's been shown that uh, it's not actually the saturated fat that's causing the heart disease. Yeah, it's the combination of these uh, refined vegetable oils that mm-hmm. are inflammatory by nature and then combined with uh, oxidative stress of, you know, everyday life and then also uh, the refined sugars, which mm-hmm. causes inflammation. So when you have like those three, uh, that trifecta of heart yeah. disease, yeah, people are going to get heart disease. So yeah. people sometimes when we talk about this high fat moderate protein, low carb ketogenic diet, Mm -hmm. uh, people get scared because they're like, Oh, well, fat's so bad. And you're eating how (laughs) much saturated fat a day. But the thing that, you know, I had to research myself and convince, you know, other people of who I've spoke with is that there's good fats and there's bad fats, right? Saturated fat is not necessarily bad. Um, you know, it's those refined vegetable oils and fats that are the problem, the polyunsaturated exactly. fatty acids. You know, what's funny so, about, about, um, well, not funny, but what's, what's, what really happened was, um, it was the sugar companies 
that wanted to like put fats down and they wanted to promote sugar. And that's why we have this, um, what do you call it? That's why we had this, you know, low fat diet fad for the mm-hmm. many years because the sugar industry just wanted to pump out, you know, like, oh, fat is bad. You know, fat makes you look fat, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It, it had that connotation. So it's really interesting how like everybody talking on keto is referring to that same um, doctor who did this research um, yeah. to show, you know, and, sugars were bad. And with the whole like primal concept, you know, like uh, you just have to look back to what our ancestors ate, you know, and, and they yeah. say, eat what your grandma ate, right? Yeah. Because in our grandmother and great grandmother's day, we didn't have all these shelf snacks, right? That were like loaded with sugar and partially hydrogenated vegetable oil so that they can have a longer shelf life, refined vegetable oils. That just wasn't even an option, you know? And in, in our grandmother's day, they didn't have this obesity epidemic and like, you know, uh, heart disease is so prevalent cancer Mm -hmm. now. So, I mean, if you just drop those three main evils out Mm -hmm. of your diet, You'll be doing yourself a great service and you don't even really have to, you know, um, cut out the carbs altogether because yeah, there are carbs in a lot of good foods too. So carbs themselves are not the problem. It's the refined vegetable oils, refined grains and refined sugars. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, that um, was a really good talk on, you know, the importance of keto, the importance of controlling your diet because, as time goes on, but we are getting older, we are getting, um, you know, we are more susceptible to these diseases and whatnot. And if we control our diet and be in the moderate path, then definitely be in a good way. So um, we will have to do another talk on training and how that affects you to be a better rider and faster rider and whatnot. But before we go, um, there are some questions that I wanted to ask Uh so what is one hobby that you wish you got into? Uh, well, I mean, currently my hobbies are <laughs> pretty much just cycling. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess uh, maybe hiking. Um, you know, growing up in, uh, and being a runner, I always preferred uh, cross-country to track. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of outdoorsy. I, I like mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think hiking would be pretty cool to get into, uh, you know, just because I like being outdoors and it's sort of low intensity, you know, it's not going to put too much of a stress on your body, um, you know, to recover from. So, uh, yeah, I'd say hiking. Nice. Very cool. All right. So next question. Um, hiking is really good, by the way. And um, there's there's ton of things we could talk about. And hiking. The next question that I have is, what is your favorite movie or TV show? Uh, well, I don't know about movie, but, you know, growing up, I loved watching Seinfeld. That was pretty much my favorite uh, show. I could probably, like, give you a million quotes from that uh, show. And then Curb Your Enthusiasm is sort of the spinoff of Seinfeld. So one of those two shows probably. Okay, cool. Seinfeld was also my favorite. No, I didn't <laughs> watch it growing up um, when it was actually airing. It was actually uh, around 2000s that I was like, all right, I need to figure out what the Seinfeld business is. And so I started 
<laughs> I binge watched the nine seasons and I was like, oh my God, quoting it every day at work. It was like, oh yeah. My God. All right. Next question. Who is your favorite superhero? Oh, geez. Uh, I don't know. You know, honestly, I'm not into the, the latest uh, superhero movies, but I guess the first superhero movie that I watched when I was a kid was the Batman with Michael Keaton, you know, uh, with Jack Nicholson as the Joker. So, I mean, probably Batman. All right. Fantastic. Batman is one of the best superheroes around. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's really cool to hear. All right. Last, was it last question? Yeah. If you were a board game, I know you're an outdoorsy guy, but if you were a board game, what who or what board game would you be? Uh, what based on like my personality or? <laughs> yeah, personality um, or you know what what's what are you attracted to? Uh, I mean, I like Monopoly. You know, uh, it's it's a multi-person game, and uh, you know, it's high stakes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that is a that is an awesome game as well. Cool, man. Well, this was a really good chat. And um, thank you so much for coming on. Where can my audience find you? If they wanted to learn more about cycling, more about you and keto, where can they find uh, you? Well, this evening, you can find me with a couple of teammates at the uh, Rest and Bike Club Thursday night ride. But uh, in general, um, just at home or uh, <laughs> at work. I'm not really online. I, I have a Facebook account, but I never really get on there. Okay. I, I'm on Strava. That's pretty much the only social media All right. I have. So they can find you riding on Strava and, and look at your awesome history of riding 5,000 miles in one year, right? <laughs> yeah, you can find me on the streets. <laughs> there we go. Find, we can find... Um, Emmett on Strava. You can find him. Um, I think he's written one or two blog posts on Team Velocipede's website, so you can check that out. And by the way, this podcast episode can also be found on teamvelocipede.org because that is our team and we're talking about cycling and we're posting stuff about cycling on there, so you can check that out over there as well. Well, thank you so much, Emmett. We will definitely yeah. be chatting soon. I need to get out there, buddy. Yeah. There, Thanks right? a lot for having me. Absolutely, man. Take care. All right, man. See ya. Thank you for listening to Hacks and Hobbies. You can find additional information on the guest today on the website, hacksandhobbies.com. Please feel free to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on upcoming interviews with amazing guests.